Hey folks, Dave Cathy, the Food Dude, your host for Community Table here. Nowadays, we're updating the podcast weekly as a platform for local members of the food and hospitality industry to share their point of view during the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we're talking with operators from in and around the Paseo Arts District. So find a snack, something to sip, and join us at the table for August 21st's Dispatch from the 405 Diningscape in the time of the coronavirus. Let's get started with a conversation I had with 84 Hospitality's Rachel Cope and Chef Jeff Chancelloon. Their restaurant group is home to Empire Slice House, Revolucion, Burger Punk, Goro Ramen, and Gun Izikaya. But thanks to the pandemic, that's about to drastically change. So I think one of the things that you do or we did whenever the pandemic hit was step back and look at everything. Uh, and, you know, there were some business reasons behind it. There were some um, real estate reasons behind it. Yeah. There were some personal reasons behind a lot of it. And ultimately the decision that we came up with was to save both restaurants that they needed to become one. Yeah. And, uh, we own the building in the Paseo, worth, uh, luckily, and so that gives us a lot of flexibility with our rents, our future, and um, really everything, yeah. uh, not to mention the space itself is almost double the size of the Goro space, and so that really was the same pitch that I made to Jeff <laughs> when I went to his house and sat on the porch for our social distanced uh, meeting to just kind of say what you know what do you think about about this so Jeff I, I think that you're probably excited and why don't you talk about yeah I the was matching say, of the two menus kind of coming together and just how we even got to go yeah Jeff I, I was I was yeah. I remember a conversation where you told me well you know I don't know if you noticed but we took the izakaya off Goro yep you know and it's almost like you're kind of getting in this weird, messed up, long, windy way, you're getting your, the restaurant you always kind of wanted back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so take us through. Uh, yeah, so we met on my porch. She brought over, over a bottle of whiskey, and she's like, I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> she told me, like, all right, let me think about this for a little bit. And then I thought about it. like, you know what? I think for us to survive, we have to do this. But it's also great because, you know, in the beginning when we started Goro with Goro Ramen and Izakaya, we immediately figured out it was way too small to execute everything. So we took it off the menu. Uh, we said, you know, what, we're going to sit on this and it'll be our concept one day. Its own concept. It became gun. And now we're back to square one. But like she said, the building is larger so we can execute both ramen and the yagitori, but also do uh, takeout at the same time, which is what we're going to need to do to survive the rest of 2020, maybe early 2021. Sure. Um, I'll be able to focus a lot more on both restaurants in one location. Uh, not that I lost a lot of focus, but it's going to make my life a lot easier. Yeah, not as much running back and forth, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you get to have yakitori and ramen and all in one building. You know, who doesn't love that? Yeah. Uh, also, the highballs. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it really, it's almost like, well, let's look at it this way. Had you had the property there in Paseo back in, what was it, 2016, when you opened, then you would have opened there. Goro would never have probably come to, to the, the, the Plaza District, most likely. And so, so I think about, I would say 70% of the gun menu will be on the Goro 2.0 menu. Okay. Yep. Now, very important because gun did not have a long life. And, and it was just kind of coming into its own as far as like, it had a very strong, you know, very loyal, regular uh, customer base. But the guest list was just starting to kind of grow when all this happened. Yep. So, and, and the food, that, the food is so good, Jeff. I mean, my God. I mean, the reason you had all the regular customers coming back was because of the quality of the food and the execution of the food. So, yeah, that's, that's huge news for us to know that, that that great menu is not going by the wayside. I, I am glad, though, that we took it off in the beginning because I was very ambitious. And yeah. I was 
learn a lot more about yeah, yeah you know what the, the the great results don't always happen in a straight line you know it's yeah. it's you just have to kind of you have to roll with it and that's what you guys have done here and i think that's what's really impressive now let's before we get too far down the road uh your fans in the plaza district are probably wondering hey what about our deal we, we very <laughs> much loved walking over but you're not leaving them high and dry talk about tori tori uh, so a project that happened a little sooner than expected, but I think uh, we have something that's going to be great. Uh, Rachel and I have talked about this for a long time. I love fried chicken. Uh, and with the way COVID has impacted us, Rachel has thought a lot about this. I think, you know, the fast casual counter service is the way that we're moving towards. Mm -hmm. And kind of have to. It's yeah. Well, the Pasea, or excuse me, the Plaza one. I mean, we love the Plaza. The Plaza it gave us our first chance, you know, and our second chance, and a third chance. And it's your and, home base. Your home I mean, base. Yeah, that's our that's our that's our neighborhood, and yep. we didn't want to leave um, completely. But you know, while researching sort of what what the trend is, and really considering what can we maximize our volume in this small of a space. Uh, with something that we are passionate about that travels well, um, you know, that, that a lot of people enjoy and, and uh, that we're proud of. And so this was it just kind of came up and it doesn't take a lot of changes to that space, um, just some aesthetic changes and a few pieces of equipment to, and then a different service style to, mm -hmm. to flip that. And so it really is not a very expensive project for us to do. And should be pretty quick, and it and it allows us to, you know, continue our lease that we have there and um, provide another idea and test another yeah. idea there. So I'll tell you what you guys are doing, um, you know, and I know how much thought you put into these things, and I know how much you sweat the details and all that kind of stuff. So I know these are not just okay. We're just going to do this, you know. It takes a lot of thought and, a, and an incredible amount of courage to to. I mean, you're basically just turning the steering wheel full left on a concept that's very popular in the home where it is. And, and I think what I hope that listeners will really take away from that is not so much your ambition, but how serious the ongoing situation is in the hospitality industry. You would never do this if it wasn't for the pandemic. I mean, it, it's, it's a long shot. I, I mean, it's not, it really isn't, but it's, it's the kind of thing that before this, it would be unthinkable to take something extraordinarily, like for instance, uh, when Big Truck Tacos opened way back in 2010, it was clearly too, too small for the space, but there's no way you could convince them, oh, we'll just you know, move to another corridor in a bigger space and everything will be fine. But this is what the pandemic is doing to the industry right now. And I think what you guys are doing really is probably an example that some of your, some of your colleagues are going to look at and say, you know what, that's not a bad idea because it is, it's a lot cheaper than a lot of the alternatives, right? Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like gives us a two headed monster yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, uh, out of one concept that was already successful. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of positives there to, to, to embrace. And I know like, like I said, from the dining point of view, for me, it's a net positive. We get Goro back to, to, to like the initial plan in a, in a space that fills it all up. It plus now has the inspiration that came along with gun because if you hadn't done it the way you had the gun menu might never have emerged into what it was and you wouldn't be able to, you know, you, maybe you wouldn't be doing the yakitori uh, right. in, in this. So I'm, so I see a net positive there and I know the fried chicken is going to be good. Like, that's like, I, I need, we need to slow down for a minute because like that I, I'm treating it like it's a foregone conclusion that I, oh, yeah, great, great chick. Listen folks, Jeff makes some killer fried chicken. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I mean, you, you know, you say we love fried chicken. Oklahoma loves fried chicken. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so this is another, and we have some, some great places to go find fried chicken, some you know, classic styles, but I can promise you what Jeff is going to be doing is going to be something like it's going to be his, it's going to be chef Jeff's way. And, and, and we already, we know from previous experience that that's going to be really killer. So that is something to look forward to in a time when it's really hard to look forward to things. So best of luck with that. And yeah, Jeff, 
can you tell us a little bit about the fried chicken? Is there anything, is that too top secret yet? Or is there, is there some, some no, hints? Talk about that. So we're taking two of Goro's best items, the mm-hmm. Tebosaki chicken wings and the mm-hmm. karake, so the chicken nuggets, the thighs. Uh, so at Goro, the Tebosaki is made with the fish caramel, the fish slime caramel. Mm-hmm. We're going to add three more sauces into that lineup. Um, gojujang, um, a play on a lemon pepper, which is a yuzu lemon pepper with pink pepper. <laughs> I love it. That's my favorite. Um, you can also get it naked. And the other one, oh, the Tokyo Hot from Gun will be excellent as well. Excellent. Um, for the karage, it came with a togarashi mayo. We're introducing three more sauces, a uh, plum sauce, a uh, charred negi mayo, so it's a charred scallion mayo, mm-hmm. uh, miso honey mustard, and that's it for those. Plum poison. Yeah, plum poison sauce. And then yeah. we'll have some sides and a really awesome chicken sandwich that we are nailing down right now. Jeff figured out during this that he is actually a master biscuit maker. <laughs> we will have a biscuit. It's an anori everything spiced biscuit. So uh, Asian American fried chicken, fried chicken shop. This to me, I mean, everything you're saying right now is like, is just almost pornographic. I mean, it's like everything that I that I desire in in, in progressive chef driven food is it's the heart is in the right place, the soul is in the right place, but there's this eye towards you know something beyond something something very attainable. You know, just in in this case, just bringing cultures together. You know, well, yeah, there's no original thought, right? We always say yeah. that. Like everything right. is born from someone else's idea, and what Jeff has been able to do is take a very traditional. Yeah. Uh, favorite at, at where we where we live and really across the U.S. and yeah. put um, heritage and and um, experiences in, into those dishes and that checks that unique box that we always try to do for all of our concepts. So absolutely, yeah. No, that's and so last thing on that subject. Uh, what's the schedule on everything? When, when does everything happen? So our last day of service at Goro in the Plaza is August thirty first. It's a Monday. We realize that um, it's the last day of the month, so that helps us from like a, an accounting perspective. Yeah, sure. uh, two, it's Marley, Jeff's daughter's birthday, so we like that. Up and coming chef, uh, by the look of things. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, or critic. <laughs> we, we joke that she should start her own, uh, like, baby critic food yeah. critic Instagram. Yeah. Start them soon. Start them early. And get, Audience, uh, <laughs> and then uh, also it's the Monday night ramen special, so we thought we could do, and that's one of our actually busier nights typically, or, or was pre-COVID, and, and still is now, um, and just do one last kind of feature and go out with a bang there. Um, so anyway, the thirty-first, and then literally the next day we'll start moving equipment, cleaning up. Um, the gun space is being remodeled now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and getting the patio seating ready for there because when it does open, it will only be patio dining and to go service to yeah. start. Yeah. And it'll yeah. be the same story for really all of our restaurants right now, as we get comfortable with serving again, we haven't done that since March. Um, and still kind of watching the world around us and making sure that we're being as safe as, as possible. Um, yep. And then the turnaround time for Tori Tori, the chicken shop, is really just as fast as we can get there. Yeah. But we're thinking it shouldn't take more than 30 to 45 days to change the space aesthetically and, and get some staff in play and retrained in there. So, Very good. Very good. Well, you brought it up the other restaurants, and, and I, I would like to talk about that a little bit. And, Jeff, I know you've got to get back to get some work done, uh, but, but feel free to jump in here if you can stay with us and talk about these things. We'd love to hear from you because we want to talk a little more broadly about the – the restaurant experience that's going on right now. And, you know, one thing and, and, and that is, is that I'm trying to let the public hear about is kind of how this thing is working from the inside out. And, you know, I try, I've tried to explain this so many ways, whether on a podcast or writing it or whatever, but you guys were literally on the front line of this incoming pandemic. If you want to look at it like a hurricane, you guys were the first ones hit. And, and now it's affecting a broader s- section of the uh, of the economy, but it's not affecting you guys any less. So you guys have been getting hit the hardest, the longest now, and affected the most. And so, what what I 
wish people could, what, the reason I have people like yourselves on is to explain how that hits you. I mean, how do you handle that? How do you handle something with, that, is, that has this kind of existential threat upon your career? I mean, obviously there's the, the, the initial blowback, but I mean, take us through a little bit of the thought process. How did you guys react to this thing? Um, like with anything that we do, we try to be thoughtful, but also precise and quick with our decisions. Um, the first decision was really to close the, the dining at all the restaurants and go to go only. And we made that decision before it was even a mandate um, for restaurants to do that. I think we might have done it like a week or so before everybody else was was made to do that. Um, what was that you guys were, and I, I'm glad you brought because you were ahead of everybody on, on shutting down. What was your process on that? It was staff safety. I mean, what? Yes, it, it was staff, staff safety. Yeah, mostly that was it. And also time to wrap our minds around what is happening. Yeah. Um, and just protect um, our staff and our, our people as best we can. Also the public uh, was something that was su such an unknown. Right. Uh, I'm such a researcher and like a his, I love history. And so I was, you know, going back immediately to like, what's the closest thing like this that's ever happened. And, you know, people say like 2009 SARS or, you know, whatever, kind of similar, but then really look at that 1918 pandemic and that was so long ago, right? Like whoever thought this would happen again. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it has, it has yet to be revealed how this will all really end up and how similar those two things will end up being. But really, it was just kind of that. It was like, we don't really know what's going on. Uh, we want to try to keep the wheels turning, but be as safe as possible. And um, that's the decision that we made. We all got together on a Sunday night um, and just said, what do you guys want to do? And we all just came to the consensus that we were fine with doing that as a team. I asked Rachel and Jeff to describe how the pandemic has affected staff and what guidance they've offered. So, so the staff were shocked. You know, they were trying to figure out how to handle their own personal lives. A lot of our focus in the beginning was just getting them information. Yeah. Um, how to file for unemployment. If you were going to do that, we even like went through the process of filling it out ourselves. One of our directors just to kind of make sure they didn't miss any steps. Cause we've been hearing that that was a real problem. Once they, somebody messed it up, it was like impossible to fix. Yeah. So that, um, you know, giving them some guidance on look at your bills, try to define these things if you have that. Really just kind of guiding them in their own personal lives as we were looking at our own business at the same time. Mm -hmm. So there was that shock, but also that, well, this won't last very long, maybe. Like everybody was thinking. Well, yeah, then we shut July, down. maybe, yeah. Right. And then we had to shut down Tulsa. And there were 60 employees that had been training there for three weeks. It was open for five days. And so that was the first like hard decision, like really hard decision we had to make because it was just such a financial burden for us. But there was just, in my, our opinion, no way that we could continue on with that. And so we just had to help all those kids the best, most that we could, you know, get on unemployment, just be very honest with them and say, I hope this is over soon and we'll be back, you know. Um, and so I think there was sort of a roller coaster. Everybody was good. And then everybody started getting like, well, we need more information. When are we going to reopen? When are we going to, re what, what's going on? And we're saying, I, I am, I want to give you real information. I don't want to give you misinformation. And so call me and call us anytime, send us questions. Uh, let us know how we can help you. We created like an 84 support group on Facebook. So people could say, Hey, I, I need groceries. I hate to ask. Or if we had extra stuff at the restaurants that we were maybe saying, Hey guys, come by and pick up the stuff. Or I, you know, a babysitter or I don't know all kinds of stuff or a bed. I mean, we just started going back and forth trying to help each other as much as we could. Um, and then we had finally had a, a meeting with all the management socially spaced on our outdoor patio. Cause we've been doing zoom meetings the whole time. And that was really helpful. I think um, that was the first time we'd really said, okay, here, and this was almost three months later. Right. We said, here is our plan. Uh, you know, some, a very adaptable, changeable plan, but here's what we're thinking. And then we got this whole plan in place to try to reopen. And then the virus and then the uptick started again. Yeah. And we said, scratch that. Yeah. Uh, Cause our goal was originally kind of August 1st and mm -hmm. to try some patio dining. Nope. 
So, but the staff has been good. Um, we're taking care of them the best that we can right now. And really just want to be heard and they just want to um, know what's going on. And so we're, we're making the best efforts that we can, I think, to do that. But I, I don't know. I, would you say that the back of house and front of house vibe is pretty much the same with yeah, most people? about the same. Uh, you know, they were sh like sh shocked and then kind of a little scared, not like frightened, but like, am I going to be able to survive? Do I have right. my job? Right. Like employment has helped most of them. Uh, and, you know, we try to reassure them, you know, every week, you know, hang in there. We we're in there with you. We're all trying to survive this, but just hang in there with us and we're doing the best we can. Yeah. Confusing time. I mean, and at the end of the day, information is enough for a lot of people. Yeah, our one of our coaches always says, in the absence of information, people will fill in the blanks. That's and right. so we, that's been a tough one for us along that's the way, because right. especially with all these cool conspiracy theories that's out there. Right. Social media is not helping us on this, are they? It's, no, it's no. not. And so we actually had to have some pretty, like, direct conversations with some staff who were kind of spreading some yeah. misinformation and just said, why didn't you ask me that question when I, you know, sat you down and um, – but yeah, there's a lot of fear. It's just fear driven. And that's really what we were, you know, trying to understand for them is that they're saying these kinds of things. It's not to be malicious. It's because they're scared. Right. And right. Uh, so we just, you know, keep making it apparent that or um, a point to tell them you can always ask us anything and we're yeah. going to give you the best answer that we can. But we pride ourselves on being transparent. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the, and it shows you, you, your posts on social media have been very thorough and almost clinical, which I, which I appreciated, you know, trying to counter the misinformation. And, and that's really, really important. You mentioned Tulsa. Um, for those that don't know what she was talking about, she was talking about Empire Slice House, sort of uh, 84's sort of, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the mother, the mother. You say the mothership, you know. The mothership, yeah. And yeah. so you guys had, you had uh, expanded into Tulsa, as you mentioned, just five days ahead of the, the lockdown stuff. Now, take us through the Empire situation, because there's been some changes there, too. You're, you're still doing uh, takeout at the, at the main store, and you're getting ready to open a second spot, right? Right. Yeah, take us through. Um, well, just kind of backtracking on the Empire Tulsa deal. Yeah. You we had been working on that for really a long time, even just negotiating a lease. And then the build out was pretty extensive. It was an old building next to Kane's ballroom in downtown Tulsa. Great location. Um, and yeah, a full service location. And we had hired about 60 staff, which is hard to do in another city. We learned a lot through that process. Uh, and just, yeah, trained as best we could for that three week period, open for about five days and then shut it all down. So that was difficult. Um, but the landlords there have been really great. Our banks, yeah. our local community banks that we work with have been great helping us with some of that. Um, and the PPP loans have helped as well. Um, Empire OKC, the full service location has been to go this entire time. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned my social media post not too long ago. We did away with third party delivery mm -hmm. uh, for quite a few reasons, but mostly we just like to control the quality of our product. Yeah. And uh, when you're talking about very thin margins already, uh, we were kind of playing a game. We were kind of trying to see if we, get, if we did away with people to choose the pickup option. And I'll tell you, we've probably only lost like 3% of the business that we had before and have zero of the headaches. So it's yeah, cool. yeah, I guarantee you that, that, that your customers are happier with what they're receiving now than, than they were. Guarantee it. Yeah, and the other part, you know, that kind of rolls into this. So there used to be, we had a location next to Empire in the plaza called Easy E. Well, that was originally built in 2016. It opened in May of 2017. And it was the to-go shop for the original Empire that was where Mexican Radio is now. Mm -hmm. uh, and we built that because we were just so busy at the other space that we kind of thought we needed a to-go shop similar to Home Slice Pizza in Austin. Yeah. Uh, that was sort of the concept there uh, to handle all of our to-go business and then just quick slices for people who didn't want to wait in our tiny space, you know, forever. Um, then we were able to secure the lot down the street and do new construction build the current empire space. So all that being said, now the full service empire OKC can handle the volume 
that we had originally built Easy E to take on for them. And it seemed kind of silly splitting it mm-hmm. uh, when that one space, the full service, big location, really needed the sales yeah. uh, and could do it. Um, and it was a little confusing for people. It always sure. was. Sure. So um, I'd actually been negotiating a deal in Nichols Hills Plaza for the former Slapfish space mm-hmm. since uh, October of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, or the day that this plate slapfish closed, I started negotiating this lease here. And um, our thought had always kind of been to duplicate the slice shop in some way, and just kind of throughout the city, and then also, and but always have like a mothership location as an anchor and yeah. that's a full service location. So, um, kind of a long story to get you to, to this part here, which is that Empire Slice Shop is now the name, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll always be the name for every quick service location that we have and everything that's empire slice house is a full service location. And that's how we hope people difference between the two. Uh, And the slice shop in Nichols Hills has some limited dine-in seating. It has outdoor seating and is uh, prime and ready to do high volume to go service um, as well. And it's in a centralized location, high traffic, and it gets us about, you know, what is that? Three or three or four miles from the Plaza district. Oh yeah. Helps us catch another clientele that maybe didn't want to travel that far. Uh, And we'll see, this is like a test model for us to see how this new quick service version of the mothership works. And again, as Jeff kind of said earlier, moving some of our concepts to this quick service, less labor, less staff, um, higher volume that we can. So. Yeah. Well, that's, and when is uh, the, the shop going to open there? Uh, we're hoping for late next week, but we will see. Finally, Cope took us through the shutdown at Revolution and Burger Punk, which revealed some news about veteran chef Chris McCabe and a pop-up this weekend. We ran it as to-go for about two months, and then the protests yeah. started happening. And, you know, a lot of people saw where our windows got broken and mm. uh, kind of what we had to say about that. and. Really, we just decided to redistribute the staff there to other stores Yeah. yeah. while we waited for downtown to just kind of, we needed bunch business. We weren't really getting any. Uh, the school board administration was built a brand new building across the street from Revolution that we were really stoked for yeah. uh, to get their 200 staff members, you know, coming in for lunch and in West Village downtown expanding and a lot of that. Um, so we just thought we would take a break. It, we only could have really done patio dining, and it's just so hot outside. Yeah, it is. It is. So it is. We just thought we would kind of take a break for a little bit and gather ourselves. And, again, we just took the staff that wanted to keep working and, and moved into some other stores. And that's helped us at the other stores. Yeah. And um, been, it's been fine. So our, our goal there is we're doing some tasting this week on uh, kind of a short version in a, uh, of the – former menu with a few changes, uh, some additions, and that's being spearheaded by Chris McCabe, who's our culinary director for 84 now, formerly. Uh, that's great. That's big news right there. Oh, yeah. So Chris has been, yeah, we, we, uh, we're using him in a consulting kind of position uh, prior to COVID or right up to when COVID started. We had been negotiating some, some stuff there and really worked well together and can appreciate his Brooklyn noble. <laughs> he is the man. I love that guy. And he, and he, has, he, has he, has magic he, touch. Doesn't, he doesn't bring ego to it. Yeah. And a uh, great teacher. Yeah. When he said, I really, I said, what do you want to do? Like, what's your goal? And he said, I want to teach. And that really spoke to what I was looking for. So. Yeah. I love talking to Chris. He's one of my favorite, just to talk about food with, just to sit down and have a quiet, calm six hour conversation about food technique. You know, he's just, He's brilliant. He's a really brilliant technician and, and a great guy too. So congrats on that. That's really big news. Uh, Burger Punk. What, what's uh, what's the situation with Burger Punk? So, you know, one of the other big things for a lot of restaurants has to build out patio spaces uh, mm-hmm. during this time. And that was really one of our big projects was, and one of the first ones we completed was adding a patio that seats, I mean, in non-socially distanced days it will seat up to probably you know 60 people with another standing bar for maybe like 20 people so uh, that really helped what is a very tiny uh, restaurant have enough space to reopen with socially distanced seating Um, 
So yeah, we actually are chatting about maybe playing with a little pop-up this Saturday night on the patio and then kind of testing our COVID practices uh, for service uh, style and patio dining. The Burger Punk pop-up will be Saturday from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. in the Paseo. Before the conversation was over, Rachel talked about what this fight has taught her. And one of the things I always want to reiterate is like there is no right or wrong way to do this right now. There's no rule book. Um, and that has been such a cool thing for us. Like I've never talked to as many restaurant people, maybe even people who I viewed or they viewed us as competitors before. And it's such a cool time to see all the idea sharing. And um, I don't know, just I know it's a terrible and difficult time for a lot of people, but there are parts of it that have just really, I don't know, changed the way that I've thought about a lot of things. Among Coke and Chantaloon's Paseo neighbors are properties under the Humankind Hospitality umbrella. Those include Picasso Cafe, Oso on Paseo, and Frida Southwest. Chef Ryan Parrott came to the table to talk about how he and his partners have used some of the downtime to analyze short-term data, reimagine outdoor dining, and reconceive menus to adjust for pandemic conditions. You know, Seattle for me was kind of ground zero at that point, so I was kind of watching what's going on there. And went, hey, wait, we're going to have to jump on this. So sun- that Sunday night, uh, we had a we had a conference call, you know, the four of us, Sean and Kent and Kim and I, and, and ended up talking on the phone for a couple of hours, just trying to figure out what we're going to do. And and that phone call turned into uh, like two daily, like an a.m. and a p.m. call every day that would last anywhere from an hour to three hours of us just planning what we're going to do. Um you know, we ended up shutting down kind of ahead of that. So we came in Monday morning and, and basically shut Frida down completely because we looked at there wasn't really going to be a, a, a great option for us to be sustainable in any kind of to-go fashion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if we could get some, it wasn't really going to be enough to justify yeah. uh, the staff here and that kind of thing. Um, I spent most of that Monday on phone calls with legislators and uh, you know, people that I knew at the Capitol and going to OESC's office and trying to make sure that we were going to get as many people covered on unemployment as quickly as possible, um, you know, and trying to get that waiting period dismissed, which they ended up doing. So, you know, ended up doing a lot of that stuff Monday morning while the rest of our team was, you know, figuring out what we're going to do in the restaurants. And um, so we shut Frida down. We moved Picasso and Oso to, to go only. Mm-hmm. Of course, the next day the mayor came out and announced that uh, we had to do those things anyway. Yeah. So uh, really just, you know, we were kind of ahead on that, but we knew that was coming. So we just, we were trying to plan for it, figure out how we're going to do it. Uh, you know, those first couple of weeks we operated on, you know, 25% of sales. Yeah. Which is, which is obviously not sustainable. Uh, we got it built back up, you know, through this, I think in those, those first couple of weeks, everyone was just in shock and the grocery stores were, were flooded and then people were getting nervous about that. So they kept going to the grocery store to try to get whatever they could there. Um, which, you know, I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, I was fortunate. I had a restaurant that I was grocery shopping out of. (laughs) And, and we had, we had, uh, you know, quite a stock of toilet paper anyway. So it was just on a normal basis. So, uh, you know, so fortunate in that sense, but you know, the, like I said, I mean, 25% of sales obviously is not going to get you. And I think that first week may have been like 10% or something. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really bad. And, you know, I know a lot of most operators are kind of mimicking, mimicking that. So, you know, our, our plan felt like sometimes we were changing it by the hour mm-hmm. because, you know, we would research something and think that this was the route to go. And then, and then it, as it turns out, we needed to shift a little bit or we needed to change this or tweak that. And, and so, you know, new information, obviously the new information kept coming out and we kept kind of shifting and, uh, you know, our sales got built back up. We found a few avenues to better get some, get some sales through and get some, get some of our folks back to work, which was always a priority for me was, you know, not only keeping my family sustainable, but, you know, getting, getting my other families that depend on us, you know, getting them back to work and, you know, we have some of these guys that couldn't qualify for unemployment or, uh-huh. you know, or would just spend hours and hours and hours. I know, you know, Lori spent a lot of time trying to get through that and it was just a mess. So, yeah, it is. you know, when these people are desperate, it's like, let's just get some of them back to work or figure out some ways to get them some money. So um, that was always a big priority. Um, you know, we were able to 
to get sales back up. I mean, Oso kind of built back up to just doing to go to a point that it was it was actually going to be pretty sustainable. Yeah, take us through a little bit. Each take us through because I'm sure each has its own kind of little like what works for it, you know, and, and so forth. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's probably teaching you guys like what you're going to be doing going forward a little bit. Yeah, it was because, you know, obviously to-go wasn't a big model for us at either right. point. I mean, we obviously did some to-go business, but it wasn't, it wasn't near as big as, and, and what it is now. I mean, we went, you know, from doing a little bit of to-go to a hundred percent to-go and now, <laughs> you know, we're, we're probably, we were probably 10% to-go before and, you know, obviously went to a hundred percent and now we're probably, I'd have to look exactly, but we're in the 30% range of, of our to-go business now. Wow. You know, we have, we have uh, uh, created new positions now in the restaurant that, you know, you have a, a full-time to-go server, basically, and you got a full-time to-go expo person that's running food to cars and bagging it up and doing all that stuff. So we created, like, new, two new positions within the company just, just for to-go business. So, um, you know, Picasso started out, I thought it would be, you know, the most kind of you know, Oso is tacos, so we got to kind of stay in that genre, you know, and Oso, and Picasso, it took a little bit because I would tweak and go, hey, let's do, you know, some family meals of this or family meals of that, and then, and they kind of didn't really hit, and then it was like, hey, let's do, you know, my sous chef, Lee, I mean, you know, Lee's been doing his, his world-famous fried chicken for years, yeah. and I said, well, let's do that, and it kind of took off, and then I tweaked the sides, and it was like all of a sudden everybody, you know, we couldn't, I couldn't keep it going fast enough. I mean, we had to, we had to schedule it out because we could only do so many orders at a time, you know, and so we had to like schedule it out every day with with keeping that going, which was great. You know that we started doing a, a lasagna family meal, and that yeah. hit off really well. Uh, you know, Oso. Also hit off really well with doing some some taco you know family taco meals. Mm -hmm. uh, we started doing a, a margarita kit, you know, with yeah. basically you just take it home and add your own tequila to it. Uh, I always joke mm -hmm. that uh, Cinco de Mayo created the first ever traffic jam in the Paseo <laughs> because uh, because of the uh, parade of cars down the street picking up to go orders from Oso, <laughs> and it was and it was crazy. I mean, it was it was it was weird and and you know also kind of a compliment at the same time but you got people that are calling in saying i want a place to go order for dinner and you're telling them it's going to be two hours <laughs> you know? and they're like okay you know that's fine and so you know that really i mean like i said it's a compliment but it's not something i ever want to tell i guess right, they, they right. two hours to eat dinner so um and, and not something i would do i mean i told me to wait two hours I'd, and i think i'd move on but but you know they did, and that was and that was great. And so uh, you know that kind of between the margarita kits and the taco kits, that kind of really, really drove Oso there. And and we're still doing some of those. I mean, uh, Picasso's not really doing the family meals, but Picasso's mm -hmm. Oso's still doing their taco kits and stuff. And but you're learning. So yeah. so yeah, it's like it's like it's like you're in this data research project, yeah. but you're also doing it as you go. I mean, that's got to be yeah. trying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a little bit, you know, but I feel, you know, I feel good that it, I was reading an article the other day about, you know, independence versus the chains and people are real concerned about independence losing, losing out in this. And which is true because we don't necessarily have the, the capital or the, right. uh, or the, you know, the ability to get credit at a, at a level that, that the bigger guys do. But the same side of it is that we can turn a lot faster and shift and pivot a lot faster than, you know, these big guys can have to have a lot of meetings to figure out what they're going to do today. And we can walk in and go, Hey, we're going to completely change our whole game plan today. Yeah. You know? yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah. I was reading uh, over the weekend, uh, I guess uh, down in Dallas, uh, Chili's has started ghost kitchening. They, they've started yeah. some ghost kitchen concepts with chicken yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen some of that too. And it's really, it's intriguing. I, I want to do more research on that, but I've kind of watched there's, there's, I think there's a, they're doing the chicken wings. There was another chain I saw that was doing something along those yeah. lines. So, yeah. Uh, you know, Stuff that we talked about that we probably think's coming. Yeah. And now it's all moved up. Yep. Yep. Well, and that's, you know, David Chang on his podcast talk about it. He goes, I've seen this because I've seen it happening for years. And he goes, I knew it was happening, but it was like this, it was like this tortoise that was just kind yeah. of creeping along. Yeah. And it was going to be a big part of our lives in years to come. And no one really knew where it, what it, where it came from. But he's like, it's this pandemic. Just put that into full throttle. Yep. You know, just put it right up. And that's the same thing. Every services and everything, it just came, it became really big. So, um, 
you know, that's the other thing is Postmates and, and the delivery services and things that I never really wanted to deal with. Uh, I don't believe in their business models. I don't like the amount of money they take from independent restaurants. Um, I don't think that their drivers represent the companies well enough. You know, they don't, they don't know our values and our culture to be able to go and represent us at the, at the customer level. And so we never, we never used them, but it became a necessary evil where it was like, we, we actually have to have you right now, unfortunately, because that's how people are ordering food. So yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, yeah. But yeah and, and you know what? That's one of those things is like, it's probably a reckoning that was coming one way or another. And it's like, now you just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now that we're using Postmates, it's like all, all is like figuring out how to not use Postmates. You know? <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, I guess the best way to, to, to counter it is to get involved with it for a certain amount of time and then figure out if there's a way to do it yourself down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's some of the talks and is there a local option for that? Or is there, yeah. is yeah. there a way to have people that are, you know, more into our culture that are better suited, you know, the, to, to do that. So. Well, have you had, t- talk to us about now you, you, you're reopened everywhere, right? You've got some yeah. kind of service going at each place. How have diner, how have diners reacted to the situation for you guys so far? You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, we, we overall positive for us. I mean, people with a lot of comments about, uh, how they feel really comfortable and safe with us. And that's, and that's great. And we're, we're working hard to make sure that our diners feel safe. It's a, it's a mix. I mean, I, I wish I could say that most people are swaying to one side or the other. And, and it's really just a, it's a per person thing that you have to deal with. Some, some are real concerned, you know, most of them that are coming out obviously are coming out because they want to be out and they're not overly concerned or overly scared, but you still get some that, Hey, we want to sit outside. We want to sit as far away. You know, we want to sit on the edge of the patio. You know, uh, we took our, our patio at, at uh, Picasso and extended it all the way down the street. So yeah. uh, all of our, all of our, thankfully our businesses and the Paseo was welcoming and, and allowing us to kind of take over their sidewalks. So, so the, we, we stretch almost down to Betsy King shoes down in front of uh, Picasso. Yeah. How, what was the overall expansion from what, what was your, your outdoor before versus now? You're well, it's, a, it's, it's about the same. Uh, at points we did have tables from inside outside, but really it's about the same. We've just stretched it out. Stretched it out. Yeah. So, so that it's, so that it is more, uh, you know, socially distanced and, and people can feel more comfortable, um, by not having to sit, you know, right next to, uh, other folks. Um, there was a few little spots at Picasso where the, you'd have, you know, a table and a, and a small walkway that was only about three feet and then another table, you know, across that walkway. So we stretched all that out. Yeah. To, to create more space and more comfortability for everybody. So the, the size hasn't really increased. I mean, the number of seating, but the, you know, the, the area that it takes up, the footprint's a lot bigger. Um, Frida, you have a pretty good size outdoor dining area. Yeah. Yeah. Frida, Frida's got a great outdoor and we, and we yeah. took some tables out of there. Yeah. And then also we kind of did the same thing. We did pull some tables from inside. Uh, but, but again, we kind of just used the, plaza area and use the real estate that we could and kind of stretch that out a little bit to, to create some, some, you know, more socially distant dining options out there. So mm-hmm. um, what we're talking about now is like, we're talking about like going back to March, everything we were looking at was hopefully this temporary situation. Yeah, yeah. But now I guess like we're, this is for the long haul. And when I say long haul is as long as it can be in, in this pandemic situation, I guess, from now until there's a vaccine that's readily available, this is more or less how we're, restaurants are going to have to operate, right? You want to, right? Yeah, yeah, and and so that's what we're kind of looking at, and what we started to look at is instead of, you know, we looked at expanding patios and spending a lot of money in that, and and we still may at some point, but we have to start looking ahead, right, and going, okay, we've got Oklahoma winter coming. Yeah. By the time we spend all this money in June on a bunch of outdoor stuff, and it takes a couple of months, well, now we get into to September, October. And it's like, what are we going to do about inside dining? Because, yeah. you know, we can't, we, we, we're going to have to deal with Oklahoma winter too. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're looking ahead to that. Like what are we, we're already making changes for inside stuff because obviously it's going to have to move into there. Um, you know, we've put in a bunch of uh, these ozone lights that are inside of our uh, HVAC system. So the, the air that gets circulated is basically when it's coming out of the vents, it's killing all of that. Interesting. All of that virus. So, you know, hopefully we're creating a clean air environment that's changing that that's air fast cool. enough cool. Yeah. to do that, that, that 
you know, those things. And we're looking at a few other changes to do indoor because that's what we have to look ahead to. Now and that's probably something that's forever, right? Stuff like you just mentioned. Right. right. Yeah. Because it, I mean, there's, and, and these are thousands of dollars. This isn't, yeah. you know, this isn't running to Home Depot and getting something. <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to, we had a, a one of our uh, suppliers, he said, yeah, I've got a bunch of these. They're coming in like Tuesday morning and he sold out of them in 30 minutes. Wow. You know, so, uh, you know, it's, these, these things are in demand and, you know, those are, those are the things that we all need to look for is looking ahead and what are we going to do for the, for the next season, you know, mm-hmm. now, because like you said, in March, we thought, oh yeah, good thing it's springtime, you know, yeah. and we'll get through this and then we'll have summer and fall back. And it's like, well, this, this is going to be around for a while. So we're going to have to make some, some big changes, you know. Paseo neighbors, Holy Rollers and the Red Rooster are owned by the same ownership group. Managing partners are Andrea and Josh Gotro. And, they're deter- and they determined early on that COVID-19 wasn't a problem that was quickly going away. With two businesses built on opposing models, the challenge was coming up with a plan that worked for each. Andrea explains. Well, again, with Holy Rollers, we, um, it was pretty easy because we were already a grab-and-go, but I, I worked really hard before we opened to get the website up and running so that people yeah. had the option of just working through that, ordering online, picking up, doing curbside. I didn't go with any of the delivery apps because mm-hmm. our margins being donuts and coffee are so small yeah. anyway, so we decided against all that um, and then just, just hoped that people would would use the app and, and do it. We didn't let people in for a while. Now we let one person in at a time just because yeah. it's, it's so small. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> a tiny little space. Yeah. yeah. Tiny, tiny. Yeah. yeah. So that's gone really well. People have been really well adapted to that. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our sales are, you know, we're, we're still doing enough to, to get by. Right. You know, obviously it wasn't, it's not the same, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I'm not too worried about our, our future. Yeah. We were established too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that's, so that's going to Red Rooster. We were not even a year open yet. And uh, that hurt us bad because we just yeah. didn't have the following. We don't, we were still, we we're still getting new customers every day. Yeah. And um, Feb- January and February were our biggest months, which is weird. And well, not so weird, but you know, we were, March was, we were just on this roll. We were like, yeah. finally, kind of getting our regulars and we're getting mm-hmm. known and people are understanding what we are as a concept even, um, you know, because we were still battling what the old Red Rooster used to yes, be. Yes, 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 yes. So we get down to it and it's just like, boom. Like, I mean, it felt like a bus. Like I didn't know what to do because um, we we closed down to do to goes. We had never really had a to go business. I mean, right, right. Kind of anti to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want people to are, in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and our plates are shareable. Um, yeah. A lot of a lot of things that we were trying to do were real small plates or weren't big. Promoting plates. people to stay in your restaurant. Yeah, stay, hang out, enjoy the community, enjoy the conversation, get more drinks. You know, most of our our model was based off of you're going to have more than one drink that's with right. your meal. And that's, that's kind of how, you know, we're a farm to table restaurant that the prices are really affordable because we based it off of the bar. Right. Uh, yeah. So just to kind of balance that out and, and it was working, but that doesn't work for to goes. <laughs> no, no. And we tried really hard for a while. Uh, we did some family meal style stuff and we were, we were really going at it. And, but I was slowly just seeing like, uh-huh. Oh gosh, we're gonna go down quick, you know. <laughs> we, there's no way to hold. Yeah. Right. So um we got really lucky. We um our when Waytable was doing their whole yes. thing. Yes. They had reached out, but what happened is they kind of connected us with a family friend that is the CEO of Variety Care. Mm-hmm. And she made a deal with us because they were they were going to buy their employees meals for the next six weeks. And so mm-hmm. we made a contract with them. That's and great. We closed down and did that for six so weeks. You became their caterer essentially yeah. for yeah. six weeks. Yeah. 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 That, so that, that really helped. Yeah, and it helped. I mean, we, we, we could just have our five employees. We could do yep. that and just survive. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during that time is when the say farmer's market, 
um, you know, I, I had originally helped start that with a girl named Megan Cisco, and I had had backed out of it since I was doing this. And um, they came to me wondering, you know, if I could help in any way because they had nowhere to go. Six Twelve had closed down, mm-hmm. um, and so one of the biggest things that was happening to us at that time too we were having, we were doing all these lunches for variety here. It was all the same thing. Right. So we had all of these vendors, all of these farmers, these producers that we had really like kind of made commit to us from the beginning. Right. Because right. you have to, it's like, okay, we'll buy eggs from you. You can't sell them at the farmer's market anymore. Right. Right. We'll buy all this chicken because it's going to go through here and you can't sell it to anyone else. Yeah. And so that was the hardest part for me is like, I didn't want to lose those connections. I didn't want to, let's say we open in a month well, and they've found another vendor for it. Mm-hmm. So we quickly transformed ourselves into a grocery store and everything that we'd bought from the farmers and the local producers, you know, everything from peanut butter to honey to yeah. chickens, to all the stuff that we buy local um, and just put that through the Paseo farmer's market online mm-hmm. and, or of course not making the margins that we would make at the restaurant, but at least we were making something and getting people to still, you know, I was still able to buy from my beef producer. You're keeping the the, the supply line moving. Just as best you can. Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of it. That's what I think a lot of people don't understand it. And why would they is kind of how there's, there's a rhythm to how this thing has to go for everyone to make their money, to to, to everyone to make their nut. And, When anything stops, there's this domino effect that we felt it a couple of months ago with the beef prices. Mm-hmm. You know, when the supply line, when the when the disease was really affecting the the meat packing uh, pro- processors, man, they couldn't get the meat out, and the, the the food disappeared. And you guys felt the prices, and we felt the prices at grocery stores. That's an example of it. What you're talking about is on a smaller level here locally. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just as important to you and to these people. Mm-hmm. As that problem was, it's just out of sight for most. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, and are you guys still doing the the farmers market stuff? We are. Yeah, we're still um, every. So it's like you can order Monday through Thursday, and then you pick up on Saturdays um, here. Sure. And that's just going to be temporary. But you know, we keep thinking it's just temporary, and then what's temporary? Anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, temporary now means maybe means a year. Right, right. You no, know, I mean that's, exactly, exactly. And if and if you if you if the release if the sales continue, I mean it may come to a point where your vendors say, "Hey, we like the way it's going." Let's right. Do it. you know? Right. Well, what what's been really kind of great for our um, our concept anyway is mm-hmm. that I think I was having a hard time for the year that we were open getting it out to the public how much we make in-house how much buy local and this has really allowed us to show people the products that we do make Mm -hmm. and it's been amazing like i mean we're selling our house made mayo we're selling our tapenade and we we make you know our own sausages and all of that and there's only so much time you have with a customer when they sit down at the plate and, and it can, it can be there on the menu but they're not reading that right well especially in a dining environment like that that's not that's not even part of the deal the way it was set up. You were never, you know, you don't have a market set up in there. Right. Right. And I wasn't trying to that on people as they're sitting there like, this is what we're doing. You know, and I knew, I knew with time that would happen and this has actually elevated that and and shown people what we're doing a lot quicker. So everyone's long-term plans became today's plans. Yeah. That's a silver lining, right? right. It's like, you've got to test it out now because yeah, you know, there yeah. may be no tomorrow. Well, that's that's really cool to hear, like, the, the way you guys have been hustling through this and, and, and finding your way through. Now, you guys at the Red Rooster, you, you expanded your outdoor dining. Talk, talk to us a yeah. little bit about what you're doing with dining right now. Yeah, so kind of the same model that we did with Holy Rollers. We, we kind of shut down our full menu and refocused on what we could do um, as a to-go item and then put it all online and then did a dining dining in section online. Mm-hmm. So um, one of one of the hardest things for us right now is we've kept all of our kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. We've not really kept our waiters and waitresses right. for them to do. So this really like the the way that we're doing the patio. I'll explain that in a second. Had, is a reflection on having my two managers up front mm-hmm. and our kitchen staff. Um, we want to be able to bring dine in for people, but we 
don't necessarily want to hire more people at this moment. And then with the chances of having to fire again. So we're trying to just limit what we're doing now and Mm -hmm. still scrape by. So um, that being said, we we expanded the patio. We have eight tables now, uh, 10 on the weekends. Uh, That seats about 40 people where inside here, we're so tiny. We only seat about 60. So have a full patio for even a couple hours. It's really great. Um, But the, so to help with the lack of staff we have and the lack of contact, because mm-hmm. there's still a lot of people that do not feel comfortable, which is totally understandable. Yeah, yeah, that's the which <laughs> totally we're talking about. This is we actually need people to be really careful. Yes. We yeah. don't need everybody coming to the dining room. We need right, right. just as many as you can actually fit, which is not yeah. a full house. So it's not like we're here saying, oh, yeah, everybody come out. Right, right. Everybody make a plan. <laughs> exactly. So, so our plan was, uh, and this was also based off of, I sat with my staff and asked, like, how comfortable do you guys feel waiting on people again? You know, I, they've been with me literally since the, the, the first day that we did training back in February the year before. So that was really important for them to feel comfortable. So we built um, a website that has a QR code that's on the table that, that people are doing in like Dallas and Denver and, you know, high tech type places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I know like S and B I think is doing that here now too, yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah. So you, you sit down, it's explained on a big chalkboard, um, low contact patio, have a seat order from your phone. We'll bring it out to you. We'll be around, but we're not going to be doing this like right. one, you know, kind of makes everybody feel uncomfortable the situation, which is yeah. the saddest thing because that's why we're in the hospitality industry that's to begin with. What the word hospitality means. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So this way we're at least getting to see some of our really loyal customers and they're coming back out and they're, they're really have been supportive. I mean, this has only been two weeks now that we've been doing this patio. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been so hot and we've still yeah. had people out because people are either just, you know, missing that experience, but also a lot of them have been just incredibly supportive of us. You can shop the farmer's market she mentioned at paseofarmersmarket.com. Before we go a little news, Rococo owner chef Bruce Reinhardt recently announced changes to service at the North Park location. And he's also hosting one of his famous clam bakes at the original location this weekend. Here's Bruce with the details. A typical clam bake for us, about 100 people. We're looking at 30, you know, maybe 40. And we'll just take the whole pen location and we'll spread everybody out. And uh, we'll individually serve each dish. Mm -hmm. Uh, No more buffets, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of excitement. I can't wait. Uh, um, I can't wait to make my dirty chowder. Uh, Can't wait to make my cobbler. I just, the whole thing. It'll be a labor of love. Yeah. Well, and if, if there's people out there who are in a position to get out and do Please. this sort of thing, I mean, because I know it's like, it's really hard to find things right now that feel like normal life. And, you know, and, and, and in many cases, we're holding on to something that maybe isn't going to be you know completely around anymore. But in this case, here's something that we know, clam bakes are not gone forever. <laughs> clam bakes will come back. Uh, clam bakes can actually happen during a pandemic if you plan it properly. Right. Yes. And if you want to join us, it's going to be a ball and just call 528-2824, the pen location and get in. Uh, We're about halfway there with the reservations. And like I said, we're not going to push. It's going to be what it is. And then if the response is enough, maybe three weeks from now, we do another. You know, in many ways, what we're going through here is the stages of grief for normalcy. Denial? It's a hoax. Anger? I don't want no stinking mask. Bargaining? But can I still have house parties? And then there's the depressing fact that we're at 700 deaths and counting in Oklahoma alone. The only thing left to accept is that this pandemic will not end until a safe vaccine is developed, produced, and distributed to anyone who needs it. I've got to make way for that. So what's the answer for today? How do we make room for all those things to happen while we're trying to stay busy? Only thing I can think of is grace. 
For years, hospitality has been the secret sauce separating a restaurant's greatness from mediocrity, used almost like a tool. But now we live in a time where hospitality creates an existential threat to both parties if it isn't handled responsibly. That means it's incumbent upon we as diners to embrace grace. And remember, hospitality has historically been a two-way street. My thanks to Rachel Cope and Jeff Chonsaloon of 84 Hospitality, Ryan Parrott of Humankind Hospitality, Andrea Gotro of the Red Rooster and Holy Rollers, and finally, Bruce Reinhardt of Rococo for joining me at the table today. Best of luck to Jeff and Rachel with the rebirth of Goro and the, uh, the emergence of Tori Tori. Bruce has got some exciting things going on this weekend. You want to check all these people out. They do quality work, and, I be- and believe me when I tell you they are working night and day to not only do a good job, but to do a safe job. We'll have more from the 405 Dining Scape next week. Until then, be kind, be safe, and don't be late to the table.